Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 2. I remember when I first got the letter in the mail, it had my name on it. Actually, it wasn't a letter. It was a little card. And the card said something to the effect of, Dear Mr. Shailen, your presence is requested at City Hall on such and such a date. I had jury duty. Now, most people kind of sigh as soon as they hear the term jury duty, ah, because that means you have to miss work, you have to be inconvenienced, etc. I was unemployed at the time, and beyond that, I was actually excited because I've never been in a courtroom. I had never been in a courtroom before, so the idea of seeing what it looked like as justice took its course was very, very exciting to me. I wonder, man, is it going to be like what we see on TV, law and order? Like, sign me up, I'll go. And so I went, and I saw a whole bunch of people making excuses as to why they could not do it, even lying and answering the questions that the judge answered. I answered them all honestly, and what do you know? I got picked. And I was excited. And so there I was amongst... 11 other people about to participate in the justice system of the United States of America. And it's very dramatic. You had, as soon as the judge walked in, you know, all rise. Everybody stood up to give honor to the judge. I looked over. I could see the uh, prosecution on one side. I could see the defendant on the other side with the defendant's attorney. There were people from the defendant's family in the room, and as I surveyed the courtroom, I thought to myself, man, like this, like this is official. This is some serious business that's taking place. Well, what we're going to talk about today is uh, something that is similar, but there's a whole lot of differences between that and what I experienced, and that is the final judgment. Uh, I'm going to warn you, uh, this is it's weighty, it's heavy, um, uh, but I think that the Lord would uh, like to speak to us today concerning Judgment Day. So I'm going to read from uh, Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 
We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you because you are um, the righteous one, the holy one. We praise you for your word, which is living and active, which is sharper than any double-edged sword, which penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Father, we bless you because nothing in all creation is hidden from your sight. Everything is laid bare, naked and exposed before your eyes, the one to whom we must all give account. And so, Father, uh, my prayer today, uh, as always, is that you would use the word of God and the power of the spirit of God to reveal the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen. In this text, Paul is in the middle of making an argument. Uh, the argument is God's case against humanity. Uh, in chapter 1, he has already dealt with the person who uh, lives apart from special revelation, that is, those who would be known as the Gentiles or the pagans. Uh, in, and he's, he's already shown that they're guilty of sin before God. Uh, in this section that we find ourselves in today, Paul is dealing with a second group of people, and that would be uh, what we would call the moralist. That is, the person who 
If you ask them about their morality, they would say, I'm basically a good person. I'm, I'm a good dude, all in all. You know, I, I got my dirt, but I'm good. I'm a good guy, or I'm a good girl. And what Paul is doing is, in this section, is showing that the moralist has no excuse for this sin either, because even as they look at others and judge them, they're guilty of the same exact things, and uh, Paul is going to show exactly what their destiny is. Now, what I want to do is um, basically pull from this text the idea of a judgment day, uh, the biblical doctrine of the final judgment. Um, I'm going to talk about the certainty of judgment day. Uh, we're going to talk about the events of judgment day. We're going to talk about the judge of Judgment Day, and we're also going to talk about the standard on Judgment Day. Now, this, this, is, this is one of those teachings that uh, Christians learn very early on in our walks, and uh, basically it's one of those things that, yeah, amen, there's going to be a final judgment, uh, but uh, rarely do we take the time to really dive in to what that's going to look, at, look like. And so we really want to... Um, unpack it, unpack the scene of Judgment Day uh, from this text. So the first thing, the certainty of Judgment Day. Uh, the time is coming when at the end of history, the last day, every single person who has ever lived will stand before God to be judged. That includes you, that includes your children, your mother, your siblings, your co-workers, every single person who has ever lived will stand before God to be judged. In verse 5 of this text, it's referred to as the day of wrath. In verse 16, uh, Paul makes a reference to on that day. Now, this day is something that's spoken of uh, in many different ways throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to run through a couple of the passages where it's found. Uh, the Lord Jesus referred to this day as the last day in John chapter 6, verse 40. Uh, the Lord Jesus also calls it the day of judgment in Matthew 11:22. The author of Hebrews refers to it as the day in Hebrews 10:25. Uh, the apostle Peter, he calls it the day of judgment in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, the apostle Jude calls it the judgment of that great day in Jude 1.6. And the Apostle John calls it the day of judgment in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. So the clear New Testament witness is that uh, we don't know uh, exactly the timing of it, and this message is not really about the timing of what comes before that because there's different views about that, and we're not going to get into pre, post-trib, rapture, mid all of that kind of eschatological kind of thing. Um, the purpose here is, is more simple. It's to talk about not the events before it, but the day itself because of the certainty of it. The, the other issues concerning the timing, they're debatable amongst believers, and we can disagree and get into the text and wrestle with it. But one thing that all Orthodox believers believe is that that day is coming, and it's a certainty. It's as real as the nose on my face. 
First thing I want to talk, we're going to talk about the events, the events of Judgment Day. Jesus Christ will return visibly with mad angels and saints. I'm pulling this from Matthew chapter 25. Um, I also just want to have you, if you, uh, if you could thumb to Matthew 25 and John chapter 5, uh, keep your fingers there because we're going to be referring to those texts throughout this message. The events of Judgment Day. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So on that day, don't know when it's going to be, but it's certain and it's real and it's true that one day Jesus Christ is going to crack open the sky and he is going to appear with mad angels and saints and he's going to bring everybody before him. Uh, Jonathan Edwards has a banging quote about this. He says, Christ Jesus will, in a most magnificent manner, descend from heaven with all the holy angels. The man Christ Jesus is now in the heaven of heavens. And there he has been ever since his ascension, being there enthroned in glory in the midst of millions of angels and blessed spirits. But when the time appointed for the day of judgment shall have come, notice of it will be given in those happy regions, and Christ will descend to the earth, attended with all those heavenly hosts in a most solemn, awful, and glorious manner. We can now conceive but little of the holy and awful magnificence in which Christ will appear as he shall come in the clouds of heaven. A glorious visible light will shine around him, and the earth with all nature will tremble at his presence. How vast and innumerable will that host be which will appear with him? Heaven will be for the time deserted of its inhabitants. Heaven, for the first time, is going to be empty. There's not going to be any angels in heaven because they're all going to be on the earth coming with the Lord Jesus Christ on the clouds. We're talking about the event of Judgment Day. What we noticed in Matthew, the Matthew 25, 31 passage is that every single person who has ever lived is going to be raised from the dead. Uh, turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. This leads me to the idea of the identity of the judge of Judgment Day, who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the judge of Judgment Day. Verse 22, the Lord Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Down to verse 27. It says, Jesus, speaking of the Father, says, He has given him authority to execute judgment because 
He is the Son of Man. Very important passage. It says that the Father has delegated the authority of judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it gives the reason why here. It says, because he is the Son of Man. In, in God's, the Father's, infinite wisdom, he sees fit that the one who is going to judge humanity is also the one who actually became a human being. Jesus Christ is the only member of the Trinity who actually took on human flesh. The Father didn't become a man. The Holy Spirit didn't become a man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who actually became a man. And so the Father decreed that Jesus, because he is the Son of Man, should be the one to judge the world. And, see, and this makes sense because what we see here is the ultimate flipping of the script or the ultimate role reversal. How banging is it that the very one who was cursed, who was belittled, the very one who was crowned with thorns, the same cat who was beaten uh, to shreds, the same one who died a ridiculous, horrific death on the cross as his enemies mocked him, how banging is it that he is the very one who's going to be enthroned in glory, judging all of the people who did this to him. This same Jesus, the Jesus who, whose name is used as a common curse word today. The Jesus who is largely either ignored or marginalized today. The very Jesus who, when his name is brought up in conversation, it gets awkward. This same Jesus who many people are ashamed of. The same Jesus who many people who would proclaim to be Christian, and not only that, but actually teachers of Christian truth, would deny that he's even the only way to God, who would deny his exclusive claims. This very same Jesus is the Jesus who's going to be enthroned and judge everybody. You want to talk about the tables turning? Verse 28 of John chapter 5, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Yo, it's going to be crazy. Try to imagine Try to imagine this glorious appearance of Christ and at some point he's going to bring together every, every person's body, whether you were cremated, whether you were torn to pieces by wild beasts, no matter how you died, whether you died in the ocean, whether you, wherever the dust particles of the people's bodies that have died over the, somehow, the infinite God is going to bring all of those pieces back together and bring everybody together to stand before this Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a display that we cannot even fathom right now. Revelation chapter 20 says that the sea is going to give up its dead, death and Hades also. And everybody is going to stand to be judged. God has fixed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Acts 17.31. We can turn back to Romans. So we have the certainty of Judgment Day. We have the events of Judgment Day. I want to talk a little bit about the purpose of Judgment Day. We see this in in verse 5 of Romans chapter 2. It says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself against the day of wrath, and this is the key phrase, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The purpose of Judgment Day is the revelation of the glory of God. And it's very important to recognize that this is going to be a public thing. It's going to be something that is out in public for everybody to see. This is very important because God, in his mysterious providence, God does things on the low right now. He's at work. He's doing his thing. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's bringing his people to himself. He's guiding history. But much of it is secret. Much of it is hidden. It's not as though God is not actually doing judging because Hebrews 9.27 declares that it's appointed for man once to die. After that comes judgment. Every person who dies experiences a judgment at death. So those who are not in Christ at the moment that they die, according to Luke 16, they enter into a state of conscious torment separated from their bodies. But part of the problem is that we can't see that part of the picture. All we see is that a person died, and usually what we do is we assume that they must be in heaven just for the simple fact that they died. But God is bringing about judgments, but it's, it's something that is hidden. The person who actually dies and experiences it, they know about the righteous judgment of God. They know it full well, but for us who are still in the land of the living, we don't see it as clearly. So this idea of Judgment Day being something that's public, something that's out, something that's open, is consistent with a God who desires, above all things, to bring glory to the honor of his name. And so on that day, Everything is going to be out in the open for everybody to see. And this is important because God, the name of God, the reputation of God gets just cast aside today. We have atheists who deny the existence of God. We have believers who, when we sin, in some ways deny the existence of God, deny what we know to be true about God. God has determined that Judgment Day is going to be public. Everything is going to be out in the open. Now, the reason why I I speak about this being the purpose, because the purpose is not to actually make the decision. Like the decision is not of, of your eternal destiny is not going to be made on Judgment Day. That decision is made now in this life. John chapter 3, verse 18 says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. So Judgment Day is not about the, uh, the, the, the decision of 
where you're going to go being made, but rather it's about the sentence being passed. Does that make sense? So, so it's the difference between the trial and the sentencing hearing for us, for our purposes. Question, what is going to be judged? What is going to be judged? In our, in our text, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, we get the answer. He will render to each one according to his works. Our works are going to be judged. Now, this idea of works is something that has some subcategories. We'll talk about those. The first subcategory of what includes our works that are going to be judged is our thoughts. God is going to judge our thoughts. We see this in verse 15. In verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day. So God is, is somehow on judgment day when everybody's assembled before him, he's going to be able to run back the DVD of every thought that we have ever had throughout our entire lives. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Again, we're talking about how things are hidden today. All of those things are going to be wide open. So, so every uh, evil thought, every wicked thought, every lustful thought, every prideful thought, etc., will be laid bare and judged. That's one of the works. Another of the works is our words. Our words. The key text for that is Matthew 12, 36 and 37. It says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That means all instances of gossip, every instance of slander, all foolish talking, all boasting, anything that we did with our words that is not in conformity with the law of God, it's all going to be judged. Not only the things that we actually said, but the things that we also failed to say. <laughs> because he who knows the right that he should do and doesn't do it, he also, he also sins. So that means that as it regards the tongue, the things that we should have said, that we didn't say, the times we were cowardly and not standing up for truth, all of those things are going to be judged. This third category, we've talked about thoughts, we've talked about words, it, the third category is our deeds. And we see this in verse 6 to 11. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, 
but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. It, it is impressive, to say the least, to see how often our works or our deeds are brought up concerning Judgment Day. Now, we stand on the truth of man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, 28. It says, we hold one is justified by faith apart from works. So it's not works that save us. However, our works are an indicator of whether or not we actually had true saving faith. And so on Judgment Day, what's going to happen is our works are going to be held up as evidence of either the saving faith that we actually had or it will reveal that we did not actually have saving faith. It's either going to expose or reveal the faith that we have or show that we didn't have it to begin with. Listen to this quote by A.W. Pink, banging quote. He says, For the redeemed, judgment day will attest to their sanctification, to exhibit what grace had wrought in them, in order that the radical difference between the regenerate and the unregenerate, the blessed and the cursed, may be fully displayed. This is so that Christ might be owned and magnified as the author of all the godliness of the regenerate and that they may be rewarded for their good works. It will then appear that the outstanding characteristic that distinguishes the children of God from the children of disobedience is that of personal holiness, both of character and conduct. Man. And so what the Lord is going to be able to do on Judgment Day is he's going to be able to point to our works and say, see, he's mine. She's mine. Look at her life. Look at how his life brought glory to me as we run back the tapes. And then on the other hand, the Lord Jesus is going to be able to say, look at you. Depart from me you worker of iniquity. Look at your life. Your life is a demonstration that you did not believe in me. Your works and your deeds is a demonstration of the hate that you had in your heart towards Jesus. Let's talk about the standard of Judgment Day, the standard of Judgment Day. Anytime you have a judge, there's always a standard by which he judges to show whether something is off or on point. In our text, the first standard that we see is the law, the law of God. Verse 12 of Romans 2, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. I'll stop there. God is going to pull out his law. That is, everything that is encompassed in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a great 
summary of the law of God. And God is going to be able to hold up the Ten Commandments and judge your life in light of how you lived up to the Ten Commandments. Now, the question always comes up, well, what about people who are apart from the law? Or what about the people who never heard the gospel? What about the people all, all the way over in, in, South, in the jungles of South America? What about them? They didn't have the law of Moses, right? We get the answer in verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. So what we see there is that everybody has the law of God written on their hearts. Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. Everybody knows the difference between good and evil. What happens is, as we grow up, we do things, you know, as a child, you do something, and you don't even have to be told that it's wrong, but you're looking to find out if somebody is seeing you do it. That's because you know that what you're doing is wrong. But what happens is, the more and more you do something wrong, the more your conscience get what the Bible calls it a seared conscience. It is a heart and heart. That is, you're, you're doing it so much that you convince yourself that it's not wrong at all. In fact, if, if you go too far, you'll get to a point where you think it's good what you're doing. But on Judgment Day, everything's going to be exposed. And so you're going to have the law of God pointing to you. You're going to have the Lord Jesus Christ pointing to you. But the ridiculous, crazy thing is that you're also going to have your very own conscience pointing to you and saying, that you're wrong, that you've broken the law of God. Some have speculated, and I think it's interesting, that the worm that never dies in hell is actually the conscience of the wicked, constantly for eternity testifying against them. So those are the two standards. The first standard is the law of God. The second standard by which we're going to be judged is the gospel. And we see that in verse 16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, those who were in the, uh, who lived before the coming of the cross, before the coming of the gospel, who were aware of the law, that law is going to judge them. Those who have heard the gospel, are familiar with the gospel, will be responsible for obedience to the gospel. That is, everybody is going to be judged by the amount of light that they actually had. So, in other words, the person who uh, grew up apart from the knowledge of the gospel, well, it's not actually the gospel that's going to judge them, but they're going to be judged by the law that's written on their hearts. Does that make sense? So everybody is going to have a standard by which they're judged, whether it's the law, whether it's the gospel, and, in fact, the Lord Jesus in John 12:48 says that the word of God is going, to, is going to judge also. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on that last day. So the point there concerning the standard of judgment day is that nobody 
is going to be able to escape. Now, I want to talk about, uh, as we begin to bring it to a close, I want to talk about the announcement of Judgment Day. You can turn back to Matthew 25. And there's going to be two, <laughs> it's going to be two announcements made. Matthew 25:34 says, "Then the king will say to those on the right, on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." Again, as far as believers are concerned, it's not that Jesus is going to, um, like, like he's going to announce the sentence as opposed to, like, make the decision. So if you're in Christ, if you're saved, if you're born again, the sentence has already been determined. Does that make sense? That means we're justified in court. <laughs> We've been declared righteous. So that day of Judgment Day for believers is actually going to be a day of rejoicing. Because the thing that we know now, that we are his by faith, that, that's why we rejoice in justification. That's why we rejoice that we've been declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Because on Judgment Day, the very one who is the judge, we're going to be able to rejoice that he's the one who actually died for us. The very one who's going to announce the sentence is the one who lived a perfect life on our behalf. The very one who's going to make this glorious sentence of come, those who are blessed by my Father, this judge is the one, he's our Redeemer. He's Jesus. He's our friend, our Savior. How banging is it to have the judge already take the sentence for you. And so we're going to, it's not like we're going to get to judgment, judgment day and be like, whew, I didn't know if I was getting in, my goodness. No, no, we, we ought to have a confident expectation because eternal life doesn't start on judgment day, it starts now. That's why we rejoice now. But then there's a second announcement. And we see that in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We, we need to say lie on that. Those are the most horrible words that anybody could ever hear. Depart from me. Away. Away from the presence of the Lord. You cursed. That's your state or condition. And then we see how long the condition is. The eternal fire. Those who hear those words will end up in a state of eternal conscious separation from 
the glory and goodness of God, but eternal weight under the presence of the wrath of a holy God. And this God is a God who's a consuming fire. It is dreadful. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What do you want to hear on that day? Because on that day, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late to say, well, I believe now. Now is the time to repent. We're in an age of grace. The fact that everybody is here right now under the preaching of the gospel is grace. You know how many people who are in hell right now would kill for this opportunity? Think about the people from days gone by who are under the conscious torment of a holy God right now, and all they're waiting for is for their bodies to be brought back together to come before the judge for the sentence to be announced. They would kill for this opportunity to be under the preaching of the gospel. This is the age of grace. This is a time to repent, to turn to Jesus, to turn from your sins and trust him. Now is the time. If you do it now, you have no fear of the judgment. But if you don't, if you wait, if you deceive yourself, if you flatter yourself into thinking that it's not going to... Everybody thought, nobody thinks they're going to hell. Even the people who were there right now. They didn't think they were going. This is a cause for examination. Where are you today? Where are you? Finally, we have the execution of the sentence. According to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says the wicked will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's what we see in our text. Romans chapter 2, verse 7, those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So that's that sentence. That's the execution of the sentence when the saints will live with God forever with unspeakable joy in the presence of God for eternity. And then the second part of the execution of the sentence is in verse 8. Those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury tribulation and distress so uh, that, that's where we are um, we need to examine ourselves we need to make sure that we're in the faith we need to make sure that we're not just coming here because we know that it's the right thing to do or because that's the expected well it's just expected that people go to church we need to 
consider our secret sins, the things that we do in the dark that nobody can see, but God sees it. And he's promised that one day it will come to light. One day it will be exposed. So we need to repent of all sins, hidden sins. Those who are in Christ, we need to rejoice in our salvation. Elect ones rejoice. (laughs) What a great salvation. What a great Savior. This reality is worthy of harping on week after week after week. May we grow in our appreciation for the grace of God. May we grow in our appreciation for what it means to be saved from the penalty of our sins and not have to face Jesus as judge, but as redeemer. And may we seek to live holy lives in light of the coming judgment. As I close, I'm just going to read this passage from 2 Peter, verse 3, and then we'll close in prayer. 2 Peter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.